Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We're your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer, and woman who feels like 2018 is leaving claw marks in the hardwood, Katie McDonald. And here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and End of Year Holiday Season Sequin Advocate, Heather MacArthur. Hello. 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 <laughs> Happy holidays. Right. If there's one bright spot, sequins are it. Oh. Because sequins I, are literally bright. I concur. <laughs> and I, I am I am very happy to see that it's making a comeback where I'm not the only person who's wearing it. Uh, <laughs> you know, if Victoria's Secret puts us on something, it's going to be trending for a while. So I'm excited. Okay. They're hard, right? Is it the Pantone color this year? Yeah, I think year? so. Sequins? I think so. Sequins okay. is the new black from it. what I understand. <laughs> okay. Then 2019 is bound yes. to be better. All right. Good. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We're walking listeners as we do every episode through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career. And most importantly, we are helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career looks like for you. So we have made it to episode 10 of the Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. Yay! In the middle of December, along with the rest of the best of lists that you always hear this time of year. And we thought this would be a fun time to share our own top 10 list of career strategies and just realizations that have taken place this past year, workplace lessons, what have you, that hopefully we can pass on and get a conversation around to help us go into 2019 prepared, eyes open, and strategizing for success. Does that sound good? Sounds awesome. Love it. Okay, so we're going to do a little alternating action. I will start with my number 10 drum roll. (laughs) I don't know if you can even hear that. I can't. All right. (laughs) So more than ever this year, I have had the opportunity in uh, my career excursions to realize that the businesses that I got to engage with and that everybody that I'm working with are engaging with either as consultants or employees are not these monolithic Goliath to our Davids. When you're looking for a new job or a new role with your current employer, you're looking to advance, uh, you're changing strategies, you are a person dealing with people, and that has come into sharp contrast for me this year. It's more like dating than it ever has been before in a lot of ways. And it's been a great realization that everyone in my circle, and I'm sure this rings true for you, dear listener, you are the hot one in the relationship. (laughs) If you want to put a ring on it, or if you want to keep an open relationship, it is your call. And uh, moving into 2019, we're going to have all kinds of strategies to help you have those uh, conversations with the people, not the monolithic corporations that you're dealing with, but the people you're engaging with to make your intentions clear along that road. So that's my top 10. That's that's one of my takeaways for the year. I love it. I <laughs> love it. Um, I, I would say, you know, coming into sliding into number nine, um, mm-hmm. It, not sliding into your DMs, but sliding into number nine. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have to say it's the it's the aspect of change, and I think I think every year the last decade has been about change. But I I guess what I like seeing is that more and more the idea of getting out in front of change. I always like to say if you're in if the amount of change you're dealing with is like a swimming pool, meaning your organization and industry are 
contained and steady, which haven't been the case almost anywhere in the last decade. But if it's a swimming pool, then just hang out and swim, tread water, wait, you know, wait for your little break here and there. And you don't have to worry about it too much. But when you're swimming through like an ocean of change, you got to build a boat. And I feel like more and more people are getting that they build their own boat. They're not waiting for someone to come on down from the mountaintop and say, these are the goals, this is where the company is going, or this is what's going to happen to your job. People are, are getting out in front and going, here's what I want to do in business, and here's how I'm going to do it. And when stuff comes up, they deal with it based on what they're already up to versus being reactive to it. I love that, that people are taking that as employees or workers or consultants or whatever we're managing career-wise, we are building our own infrastructure rather than waiting for somebody to build it for us. I love it. Switching off to number eight, uh, to a more practical, tangible investment, I have realized this year the value of a good headshot. Now, I'm going to put good in quotes. Because a professional headshot, depending on the industry that you're in or what you're going for, can be worth its weight in gold. I have had professional headshots by professional headshot photographers. The latest one that is currently on my LinkedIn was done by a boudoir photographer that put on big lashes for me, which I loved so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even just uh, tapping a patient friend on the shoulder who is willing to take those 70 headshots of you against various uh, bush and shrubbery backgrounds (laughs) all around uh, the public park. Just investing the time and uh, and getting that help to make sure that you are representing yourself, not just well, but the way you want to come across. More than ever, and I know we've talked about this on previous episodes, the first impressions are coming across, again, drawing that dating parallel. People are looking at your face before they're even reading your profile on LinkedIn, uh, wherever your portfolio happens to be. So finding a shop that really represents you and what you're about so that that comes across as part of your whole package is super important. So not necessarily spending the money, but making sure that you have taken time to think about how you're coming across online. I love that. And I I think to your point, it doesn't mean that you've got to spend a ton of money because I know that at least three of my professional shots were selfies in a car and I cropped most of it out. Um, But I (laughs) just happened to have good light and it was a good day and I was like, that's a good pick. And and so, but I, I, I love that you're calling that out and I just think people can get creative. But I think the big thing that you said there was intentional. Mm-hmm. Right. The the uh, headshot that you use most across your digital portfolio, Heather, is so you. It is just your smiling face and it is everything that comes across about your assertiveness, your uh, you are ready to roll. You are <laughs> coming at this with a great attitude. Like, it, it just it encapsulates Heather. I love it. it it's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you got to find that light. high five air high five yeah well speaking of uh boudoir picks i you know i think uh this is going to be in the most professional of ways but this you know in my bathroom if i'm going to share some some personal info i have a little (laughs) uh uh, hanging up sign and it says on there don't forget to be sexy and i try to live by it but not necessarily just in the like i also think about in your career don't forget to be sexy in like your brain. And, you know, people, I was talking to someone the other day and they were just kind of freaking out about how they were showing up and whether they're getting success in this new venture that they were doing. And I, I have a strong belief that part of what makes success 
is this ability to just be a little bit, a little full of yourself, not in the, I'm better than other people, but I'm pretty badass at what I do. And I think having a little bit of that to lead with, and that's that don't forget to be sexy. When you're going in and you're doing work, you've got to think highly of yourself. And if you don't, then why would anybody else buy into it? And a lot of times people are just looking for, do you know what you're talking about? And if so, I'd really love to not have to worry about this and just hand it over to you. But if you're questioning yourself all the time, second guessing what it is that you, you do or your decisions, it's not sexy. And, and it makes it actually a little bit more stressful for other people. We all have our, 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 our moments of, of worrying about something, but try to remember a little bit of ego uh, sets you up to go in and take the risks that you wouldn't normally do if you were too caught up in fear. I love that. Don't forget to be sexy and bring the attitude. Bring well, yeah. Bring bring the ego. Yeah, yeah. It is. Ego. It's a little bit of. Uh, I, I often say part of my a lot of my success is just how ridiculously highly I think of myself, and I get that <laughs> a lot of that is bravado and not necessarily that I'm walking in and coming up with the perfect idea. It's less about that. It's just more of I know that if I walk in super confident, my brain ends up going to what needs to get done here versus what do people think of me. Ooh, I love that. So you're bringing the strut, like walk in like, or I already know what I'm bringing in. I want to know how to help you. Yeah, and that way it's 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 actually not about, oh, I'm so great, look at me. It's more about, I don't have anything to be insecure about. I'm awesome. Now let's get to work. Love it. Oh, wow. Okay, don't forget to be sexy. I'm writing that everywhere. <laughs> Going backwards on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Is super sexy, Super right? sexy, super <laughs> sexy. That's tattoo worthy. So <laughs> that brings uh, brings us to number six, which we are, we're really getting weird and sliding into a whole like dating and sex analogy <laughs> with this entire thing. I have been building out a lot of curriculum development for empowerment and accountability courses uh, for leadership that I'm getting ready to deliver. And the biggest theme that I keep banging the drum for this year that I've seen a very strong reaction to, especially when it's put this way, is blame is impotent. Mm. That's a real fun phrase to write on the whiteboard and have everybody walk in (laughs) and stare at you (laughs) as you're getting ready to start the class. I love it. I love it. Um, it really evokes a reaction, but at at its core, I think it's a really effective way, I've noticed, to get people in touch with the idea that finding a scapegoat or always having an answer for why you haven't delivered ultimately takes the power from you and shifts it to somebody else so that you have completely disempowered yourself from affecting any change in the scenario that you find yourself in or moving forward when this problem happens again. You have stripped yourself of all the power. So it's super important to recognize, I think, uh, that if you are in a mental space where, I hate to say playing the victim, but you see every situation in your life as a scenario in which you are being put upon or you have every force is outside your control, there are ways to look at snapping out of that and taking back the power that you have to change, maybe not the scenario that you're in in that moment, but moving forward, what you can do to not find yourself in that scenario again, or to actively uh, take control of what's gone on for you and, uh, and say, you know what, that was on me. 
I did this wrong. And because I can admit that I did this wrong, I now know that I have the power to change it the next time. Oh, I think that's great. I think that's great. I, you know, because I think people throw out accountability all the time is something they wish people did. But uh, I love how you just explained uh, that's actually how you do it. Right? Is bite the bullet and say, hey, I was wrong. There's so much power in saying, yep. oh, I got that wrong. I fucked up, you guys. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, what number are we on? Uh, five. Five. Okay. <laughs> so um, so for number five, and actually, since we've been kind of going on, on one route, let me go kind of hard, you know, warning, uh, hard turn, turn right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about, you know, all the Me Too movement and what that's meant for harassment prevention and Mm -hmm. what it feels like to be in the workplace and all the things that are coming up. And what I hear a lot in this is the, well, now we have to be fearful. Now it's like, I don't know how to talk and men are worried to talk to women and women are, you know, worried, you know, kind of this big filter on, am I, how am I being disparaged or held back? And how do I get out in front of that? And I, First of all, love that there's this conversation that's just never happened before and this acknowledgement that's never happened before. But I also, I, I just don't think it's a rally cry to be about us against anybody or that people have to be afraid to talk to anyone. I heard, you know, mm-hmm. someone, somebody had kind of was talking to me and said, it just feels like everything's so politically correct. I'm exhausted. And I get that. I get that. But I just want to throw out there, it should have never been that easy for us to just sit around and say whatever we want and not have to be thoughtful about it. I think, I think whether it's thinking about how to package an idea. So somebody tunes into what you have to say, you know, that's one of the big things that I end up having to teach people is how do you influence others because you don't have all the control. And the point is you always have to tune into the individual. What are they about? What do they care about? And what's fascinating is I think if people actually tuned into the people that they're talking to, paid attention to who they are as individuals, that level of effort wouldn't feel so foreign. And then I get there's blind spots and there's things that we say. And I say things sometimes. The other day I had to call somebody back and say, I, you know, I'm not sure if, if you got my meaning on that in either way. I'm sorry if it, if it came across the wrong way. I, I just don't think that that's such a bad thing to add to how you communicate to people. It doesn't have to be fearful, but I think of it as let's all be a little bit more thoughtful about who we're connecting with. And I think that just level sets us and get us, gets us up for more success. Now, does that mean that solves everything that comes along with the Me Too movement? I'm not even trying to say that. I'm just saying it shouldn't feel like we've gone to a place where we don't know how to talk to each other. We do. But I find people do err on the side of, I just want to say what I want to say and not have to think about what, how that's coming across. And in business, I think it's a really poor strategy, regardless what the topic is. That's fantastic. So as we're building our, our toolbox uh, for communications, actually making sure that the tools that we're adding to the toolbox are connection building rather than oppositional. Yeah, you know, and I get questions like that or things I'm noticing that's coming up on kind of both both sides of the fence of oh you know as a man you you know they can't do this or I can't say this and then as a woman it's like I'm being held back and I just you know I I don't want to disregard any of that I just want us to be very careful about how we're framing up what's happening and if you're framing it up as I've got to try too hard to talk to people you're probably missing out on a whole lot of other opportunities that have nothing to do with gender or workplace mm. safety whatsoever, because that's, I see people struggle with that. That's what a lot of my classes are, 
is this idea of I've just been asking for what I want and I don't understand. Either I've gotten it enough that I've never had to think about it, but now I've hit a hit a wall, or I just think people aren't there to help me because I never get what I want. And they don't realize it's like, you're not, you're, it's all about you. You're not really tuning into, you're asking someone to partner with you. And I think that if we did more of that, it could, it could lay in. I think the other side of it is be careful what story you're telling yourself. And I don't disregard that I, I have even personally experienced some not so great things because I'm working in an environment that's not supportive or positive towards females. Mm-hmm. But I go into the room with, look, they hired my brain. They didn't hire my gender. So it's not, I, as far as I'm concerned, that's not what I focus on. If others are focusing on that, I, I can't control that. And I'm honestly not interested. I, I go in. It's my brain. Let's get engaged. Let's go. And my experience has been, because of that, 99% of the time, that's where the conversation goes, even if that's not where their head was when I first walked in the door. Because you are driving the narrative and using connection tools. I love that. And I also love you had, you kind of were building on what we were saying before by making sure that some of your communication tools are going back in and making sure that your intention was clear and taking ownership of the way you phrased something initially. If we all take the time to do that and be aware of the choice of our words and how uh, somebody may or may not uh, understand those, not again to tiptoe around everything, but to make sure that we're owning not just the message that we're trying to say, but our delivery of that message, I think is a great step in that direction. Yeah. And I, you know, that's, I want to emphasize, this is about those situations where it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm not getting paid the way that I want to get paid, or I'm not getting promoted the way that I want to get promoted. And, you know, I just find when, when there's the story of it's all because of my gender, and there's a glass ceiling, like I'm not disregarding that, that, that may exist, uh, or that it does exist. I'm just disregarding whether or not that story really helps you take action in the right direction. So I, I don't really, I hear those things and I go, okay, well, I'm not going to let that story apply to me. I'm going to look around and it's like, what? People are making more money than me. Awesome. How do I, now I can like up what my value and what I can negotiate for because they've upped the market value as far as I'm concerned. But I also don't want to say like, look, there's the Me Too movement was more than just, you know, equal pay or any of those types of things. It was about criminal activity as well. And I'm not saying that if you said the right thing, somehow criminal activity wouldn't happen. But I'm just, but in this, there's still that kind of after effect of it, or maybe on the outside sphere of that is people looking at it, you know, are women getting paid um, the same, you know, do I feel like men are cutting me off in the workplace and that women doing that same behavior would be considered bitchy, but a man can do it. All those things I don't disregard. I just don't swim in a lot of concern around if I'm a female, this is how they see me. I show up in a, my brain is here. I'm here to do good work. And if that means I have to level up two more times, I kind of dig the fact that I'm more leveled up than the people in the room. But then that goes Mm -hmm. back to feeding my ego. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I love it. It all fits into the same narrative. Yes. (laughs) I feel you. That's fantastic. And that brings us to number four. So I'm going to do another hard left here (laughs) and take us into a different space. One of the biggest takeaways that I've seen in a number of workplaces this year is this super fun bandwagon that older bosses and leadership have piled onto about dissing millennials. Mm. Millennials have no loyalty. Millennials have no work ethic. Millennials don't understand the value of uh, an eight-hour workday and so on and so forth. My biggest takeaway is don't 
dis your millennials. They are or will soon be your bosses because they do not work the way that you are used to seeing people work does not mean that they are doing it wrong. It means that they are ushering forth a new era where a lot of our work is going to be done with our noses in our phones, and it can be done whenever we have time for it and on a very flexible work schedule. And the technology that is being developed right now to uh, assist us in the workplace is eventually going to end up driving a complete revolution. Evolution. Revolution sounds a little scary. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I bring it. Revolution. Pick up our pitchforks. No, but a, a complete evolution in the way work is done and understood. And the millennials and now almost Gen Z is on their way into our workforces. They do think differently because they have had opportunities to process information at lightning speed in ways that people in my fuddy-duddy generation never had access to. And just because we were here first does not mean we were doing it right. So just be aware I, I love that because that's honestly my least favorite topic is when people say we want to talk about generations because I think it just sets it up where it's this labeling of uh, it rarely ends up being about, oh, I really want to understand where each generation came from so I can think about how they might think differently. Mm-hmm. It tends to be about why one generation sucks more than mine. And <laughs> and, right. and the reality is, is I don't buy that any generation has their finger on the pulse of what needs to happen. I get that. Millennials are coming in with a different set of experiences and they're, they're more open to quickness and changing and all that type of stuff. But the reality is, is everybody, because of how fast work is changing, needs to get clear as to are the results helping the organization grow? End of story. Mm. A manager the other day was was just upset because she was like, you know, Heather, you don't understand how unprofessional they are. They they literally like they're playing at work. And I'm like, well, that can feed creativity. Are they producing? Are they hitting the goals? I don't, you know, well, it's just so immature. I'm like, right, what do I care? Is it producing? Is it hitting the goals? <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if they come in in, in in, you know, like sparklers. Are they producing? Are they hitting the goals? Versus I think the thing that we have to move away from is that learning or performance the how always looks the same. And that's for factory systems. That's not for innovative and changing companies. So you have to Mm -hmm. kind of go, what industry am I actually in? And usually most industries, you need people who are able to come in, their brains get engaged fully. And some of that means they need quiet time to focus and they need to do things very diligently or they need that kind of, you know, free flow thing or they, you know, whatever it might be. I just, I think this idea of, bashing millennials and oh millennials and I see the eye roll oh what do we do with the millennials and there's this eye roll and I'm like I don't know what do we do with jerks like you like I jeez that's horrible so ditto props to you agree so number number three I this is I guess I'll 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 do this with um the idea of feedback, uh, I'll because I just think it's a nice little dovetail off of this because a lot of times they'll go, oh my gosh, millennials just want nothing but feedback. And I love, I've got someone who I work with and she always says, it's, you know, we've always, all of us have always wanted feedback. This is just the first generation that seems, feels like they're entitled to it. <laughs> we just used to just bitch about it in the background and go, it'll never happen and survive off of not having it. But I I would encourage people, regardless of what it is, either one, if you're not used to receiving feedback, getting that as a business owner, that you understand that you seeking feedback 
should be done as a service to the people that you work with. So it shouldn't be, oh, I don't ask for feedback because I never got it before and you're the martyr who's surviving because then that just tells me you're not really showing up as a business provider. The other side of it is, is oh my gosh, well, I want to know feedback. How am I doing? How am I doing? That's about you. And honestly, if I'm paying you, I don't care. What I want you to do is come to me and say, here's where I think things are and check for alignment with me. Make it easy for me to consider how things are going. So invite me to consider those things. You come reflecting on what's working and what might be able to be improved uh, based on the work that you're responsible for. So I don't have to call things out. You're already calling out what might be going on and I get to react to that. And I get to say, you know what, I agree with you or I don't agree with you. And it's about if we're aligned, awesome. How do we stay aligned? And if we're not aligned, how do we close the gap? This isn't about whether I think you're special. This isn't about whether I think you walk the moon or you're a horrible person. This is about whether I'm getting what I expected. And maybe I'm not getting it because I was never clear. Who cares? Hmm. Are we aligned or not? And how do we fix it? And let's get our egos and our neediness out of it. And also this whole, you know, I starve with, with you know, I, I've, I've fought the hard wars without feedback. Well, then you know what? You're not that good of a business person. Get in there, talk to your manager, <laughs> engage them like a client. Don't wait to be tapped on the shoulder and don't go begging for compliments. Go in and be assertive about your feedback. It is something that you, well, it's, it's a necessary tool just as you identified. It's a super necessary tool in order to make sure that you're delivering the right product. Yeah. I mean, I, if someone was coming in and redesigning my home, and they said, you know, here's what we did, and I want to touch base with you. Here's where things are going. Here's where it's changing. Here's how it might impact the budget. Here, you know, this is how I think I've been, you know, help making sure that, that you've gotten the communication service that you need. Uh, but let me know, you know, how do you feel about it? I feel like there's this really safe invitation for me to be open about it and go, you know what, here's what I think. Here's, here's what I want a little bit more of. Here's what I want less of. So that the other person's not surprised. They get to be strategic about stuff. I don't have to feel like I've got to have difficult conversations because we're having them on the regular. And But if they came in and they redesigned my home and they're like, so how good am I at this? I don't care. Yeah. Like that's no, like I, I'm in the middle of trying to redesign my home. I don't care. I honestly, I don't care about you and your ego right now. Now that doesn't mean that later I might not show my gratitude or that in the meantime, I might not compliment you on things, but your, your, your goal shouldn't be to make sure that you're, boss is happy with you or that you're super awesome it should be are we both doing the right work that way it leaves room for both sides to be wrong and both sides to be going off in a different direction and there's never this power dynamic of one person provides the approval and the other person kind of comes up begging for it on a regular basis and actually bringing it into the realm of, again, we keep talking about personal accountability and making sure that this is an individual initiative that you are responsible for seeking out and starting this dynamic. I can't tell you how many times just this year, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing in the, the companies that you work with, Heather, this individual fear of asking for any feedback that's not a glowing review leads to, on an individual level, leads to entire teams and sometimes entire departments developing programs or initiatives in the dark with no visibility to any of the other teams or departments or end users who will be using what's being developed. And then a 
fully realized program being dramatically revealed with, uh, you know, with, with the curtain pulled back in kind of like a ta-da fashion where no input was sought during the building of the product. <laughs> and now there's this fully formed thing that everyone's just supposed to ooh and awe over. That is what these siloed environments are all about that everybody keeps saying, oh, we got to break down the silos in our, in our company and we have to break down the silos among our team. The silo comes from a fear of rejection or a fear of being told, oh, what you're doing isn't good. And it's not that what you're doing isn't good. It, that's a weird value judgment. There are diff- there are different and better ways to build the product. And if we work collaboratively, we can do it together. So starting that as an individual initiative, I'm over the moon about it. Yeah. And I love what you said. It's not that it wasn't good because honestly, someone else might absolutely love it. It's just not aligned mm-hmm. with what the person was right. expecting. And yeah, just- right. There's no good or bad or you get wrapped on the knuckle with a ruler or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> All right. So this brings me to uh, my closeout. Number two takes us in a little bit of a personal direction, but something that I wanted to bring to light, A, just to put out there and see if any of our listeners have experienced something similar, and B, just to kind of make sure that that there is an awareness that this is a thing that seems to be happening, and uh, to help, if you have not experienced this yet, to help kind of formulate a strategy around it. So long story short, that's a big lead up. And as such, I am adding people on LinkedIn all over the place. So essentially, uh, if you are a friend of a friend of a friend, I am uh, I'm sending you a an invite. And if you reach out to me, I pretty much de facto am saying, hey, yes, somebody that's going to see everything that I uh, everything that I share on LinkedIn. Absolutely, adding you as a contact. My strategy has since changed because. Uh, one of the people that I added in this past year was a gentleman from a profession that has absolutely zero to do with my current profession, which in and of itself isn't bad, but I also don't know him. He is uh, working on an oil rig offshore, and we have no ties. This is just sounding like such a great novel right now. <laughs> I mean, you could take it in that direction. <laughs> uh so uh, I went ahead and accepted his connection request. And as is uh, fairly common, when you add somebody, a good 30% of them, in my experience, will reach out and say, hey, thanks for adding me. And you just message back a quick, sure, glad to be connected or something like that. And we go on about our day. Uh, I got a thanks for adding me and uh, replied politely. I received back from this gentleman, what kind of work are you in? More more in-depth questions that I answered happily. Nothing super strange or, uh, you know, or uh, bell ringing for me. And out of nowhere, again, along this line of he was keeping me engaged on LinkedIn Messenger. And we were continuing to talk and continuing to talk throughout the day when I had a break. And I thought, oh, this gentleman is uh, positioned on an oil rig out <laughs> out in the outpost of Alaska. He must be bored. <laughs> well, apparently he was real bored. Because at some point during that day, I log back in and get an image that is now seared into my brain. <laughs> and it was not good uh, either. Like, if you're going to send a dick pic, th- we already talked about <laughs> finding your light, right? We already talked about staging. You want some reference? 
uh, some, uh, you know, put something uh, in the shot for perspective. We got, I got oh, nothing. My goodness. So, oh wow. My immediate reaction was one of disgust and shame that I had led mm. on somebody to send me a dick pic on LinkedIn. How am I using oh. LinkedIn wrong that I received this? Rather than confront the gentleman any longer or engage him any further over Messenger, I contacted LinkedIn admin and had his entire profile removed. And that was my... Oh, uh, well, that's good. So th- good. that was my instant reaction. And again, we were talking about not uh, not putting good or bad value judgments on things. So I'm not going to give myself an F on that. No, no. I mean, look, you you. Um, it's unfortunate that those things are out there, but you're sitting there and you're trying to be friendly and helpful. And I, you know, I hate that you went to, you even had a moment of shame. I mean, this person, it's not a dating site, people. (laughs) And even if it was dating a site, like, don't take the lead, guys. Don't be, I'm doing this from like previously when I was single. (laughs) Don't you be the first Uh, to send a nude. (laughs) Like, always be the runner up on that. (laughs) Always be the runner up on that. Just FYI. But Honestly, like I, that's unfortunate, and and you were being friendly, and this person just kind of took it in the wrong direction. But I think you did the right thing, and I'm glad to hear that they were able to remove it as quickly as they did. Yes, so um, the I have to give kudos to the LinkedIn admin. They were super responsive and apologized profusely. I'm, which they had nothing to apologize for. That's not, uh, you know, that yeah, they had no way to know that this is how their platform <laughs> was going to be used that day. Um, but I, I have had the opportunity to think more and more on my reaction. And again, I'm not going to beat myself up for my initial reaction to this happening to me for the first time. But I hope that if this ever, heaven forfend, happens to me again, or if uh, one of you out there receive some kind of drastically unwanted uh, (laughs) uh, messaging (laughs) within LinkedIn or any site that it is not an appropriate forum to do so. I think that this is, we have the opportunity now to call people out for their behavior. We've talked about being accountable for our own behavior and decisions and actions and owning those. I, next time, believe that I will do a screen cap Blur anything that is going to offend anybody. Make sure the person's name is out there. Still contact the admin uh, for the site on which I'm getting the uh, inappropriate, <laughs> the completely inappropriate uh, correspondence. But I also feel empowered and emboldened next time. I believe that LinkedIn is full of enough people. Of course, it's a professional site, so I don't want to muddy the waters and uh, sully the use of LinkedIn. But I think it's important if people are misusing a platform that way, that misuses of the platform are put out there. So I'm thinking about the value of uh, sharing these types of scenarios with the other users of the platform, just saying, hey, this happened to me. Watch out. Also, here's the dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like that. uh, (laughs) Well, I like that. you. (laughs) I mean, there's something there's something about that, because I think we're so quick to kind of sweep sweep it under the rug. And then yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that, especially because they can easily, I mean, the hard part is they can easily just start up another profile somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But I like, I like that. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm just, here's the thing. 
the fact that they were so good at handling it tells me this isn't the first time that they this isn't their first time at the rodeo. Ah, that LinkedIn probably is getting other yeah. reports like this. And that's yeah, that's not that's not on LinkedIn. That's on these Mm-mm. you know, I'm glad that they have something in place to keep everybody safe. And I think LinkedIn is probably more on it than than anybody else because they do see themselves as a place of professional networking and not, you know, for dating and hooking up or whatever. But it's just, yeah, I don't buy that they had, they were able to do it that smoothly because you were the first person to kind of bring that up or the first person that day to bring it up. Right. Yeah. So no, but I'm, uh, (laughs) I kind of, I kind of dig it because I think that's part of it is people kind of get away with it because they're sitting behind some screen and they never get called out on it. And I I think that's what part of the Me Too movement was, is, you know, the, the, the shame aspect of it and, People don't want to talk about it. And so it's kept quiet. And when we bring it up, there's this thing of like, oh, my God, that's so tawdry. Why would you be talking about that? Like, what, you know, if, if someone were to say someone vandalized my property or robbed my store and I was talking about it, no one would, you know, oh, come on, let's not talk about that stuff. That's that's not appropriate. Right. Like, but no, like these people are violating, uh, you know, uh, uh, rules and, and laws like, why do I have to be quiet about the fact, like, and, like there's some sort of shame associated with the fact that I was involved in it in any way or impacted by any way. So, no, kudos to you. And I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not, that's so, that's so sad that we can laugh at it because I'm also not, I'm not shocked whatsoever that that happened. So, but I'm glad that you took care of it. Yeah. It was well, a lesson learned. If we're on an evening of, of hard rights, here's my hard right for the number, number one. one. Um, yeah my favorite for the year and I'm going to go ahead and, and bring up what happened. Gosh, I think it was back in the fall, like September, my favorite moment of the year. And I'm, you know, is for Jeffrey Owens, uh, the former Cosby show star who was in Trader Joe's and, you know, people were, the woman was kind of starting to shame him for the fact that he was working in Trader Joe's yet. He used to be the, on this majorly successful sitcom. And what is just amazing to me is that as horrible as I think that is, it's that, very quickly, everybody showed up with a completely different attitude about it, as in, he's doing solid good work, and don't even get me started at what Bill Cosby was up to, so, I mean, why is he giving a bad rap? He's doing solid good work, he's fending for his family, and uh, I love that he got offered um, by Tyler Perry and was hired by Tyler Perry to be on a show, but regardless, like, that's a nice story, and he got cast, but, like, I just like the idea of why is any work? And I see that a lot where people say, I'm just a this or I'm just a that or, you know, I, I'm doing this. And there's this shame of I'm not doing something that's somehow glamorous or glorious. And I'm like, whatever way you got to figure out how to make your living, there's no job that's beneath us. And there's some jobs that aren't, you're not right for mm-hmm. and it's not a good fit for you. But that has nothing to do with one being better than the other. And I get like, it's always nice to have a big paycheck. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't see... Like the the lack of a paycheck to be any like makes the work any less level of dignity. I mean, for the love, I I'm glad that I've got people who will that there are people out there that are taking the jobs that they are that help me. And I'm you know I had those jobs in my career where it, you know I'm doing that work that people might say oh it's service industry or it's hourly pay and it's it's not it doesn't have dignity to it. And I'd say 
Uh, I disagree because what goes back again, don't, don't forget to be sexy, is I always thought, like, I'm serving you food. You, nobody else was going to cook for you. So <laughs> why, are you, why are you getting upset about it? Like, you'd be happy that I'm doing this. I just made your day more than probably half the people in your life. Right? So I always, I always took it as, like, I'm showing up. Like, the job that I'm doing doesn't make, make me or break me. Just like if I'm making a lot of money, not, I'm not all of a sudden more important than somebody else in the room. So I just, to me, that was such a beautiful moment. And um, it could have just gotten and turned into such an ugly direction. But to me, that was like such a, oh, yay, I am glad that everybody's coming out of the woodwork in support of celebrating uh, him and the work that he's doing. And that speaks volumes for all these other jobs that fall in that same line. It makes so much sense that you would hone in on a story that focuses on a person's worth in the job that they're doing, because that's such a central message of the low man on the totem pole book and your messaging in general as a part of your uh, your training and facilitation just always shines through that own what you do, the value or the paycheck that other people have placed on that is kind of beside the point. What matters is that you are putting your all into a job that you can do and can do well. Agreed. Agreed. I, I totally agree. And I think that there's, I think if you take the, the idea of like only these jobs are good enough for me, you know, and I, I remember, and I may have brought this up in, the, in another podcast, I had a friend who was trying to figure out where to send her son to work over the summer. And he was in high school, I think junior year. And I, and I immediately was like, oh my God, have him work fast food or retail. Mm-hmm. It, like I, to me, there's not a better training ground for knowing how to think about the person in front of you, having zero control over how they're going to show up and behave. And then, you know, to me, it's just served tons of help in everything that I've done. And it, I've, I've not stayed in the service industry, but that was so great for me to have years working in there. And that took me wrong while I was working it. I wasn't sitting there going, this is awesome. I love flipping burgers. Like it wasn't, you know, in my mind, it wasn't what I wanted to always do, but it was really good work in terms of customer service. And her first response was like, no, my son's going to be up to bigger things than that. Huh. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't doubt that he's going to be up to big things in his life, but I, you know, I know someone from my childhood, uh, who started off, dropped out of college, started off working at in and out and now he owns like five franchises. So you just don't know what you might do with it. And I just think any honest, good work, but service industry work really gets kind of a, a bad rap, even when they were really debating on, oh, you know, their job's not that complicated. I will hands down say working fast food was the most multitasking Hmm. kind of really having to be on top of things like the people who are really good at it. I don't think people understand what it takes to really make sure, especially in situations where there's a lot of I couldn't even work at Starbucks. Don't get me started. I have no idea how they remember all that, but it, you know, the level that goes into that. So to, to disparage it because it doesn't make as much money, but yet we'll pay um, singers or performers or professional athletes. And we'll go, they're, they're amazing. What they do is amazing. And I'm not taking away from the fact that they do, but it's really just we enjoy watching them more than we do somebody who's doing fast food. That's really the difference as to why one gets paid more than the other. Yeah. And that is an arbitrary measurement, as I think you've you've pointed out before on uh, on other episodes. It is completely arbitrary that we have decided to uh, pay certain professions, teachers being the biggest example that comes to mind, you know, socially yes. when we have this conversation. But really, if you are in a, uh, I, you know, I have a soft spot for uh, customer service. Customer service representatives yeah. are my peeps. Yeah. If you are in front of a customer. That is a hard ass job. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is a hard. I should. I should specify. It is a hard ass job to do well. 
Yes, agreed. So, yeah, there's people who are horrible at it. I'm not saying that they should. <laughs> right. They should be getting paid top top of the line or whatever because you don't pay your your horrible baseball players top of the line. But the and I think there's more room for people who are horrible because sometimes restaurants just need bodies, like or fast food places need bodies in the mm-hmm. room. So you don't get to only see the elite of the elite. But if you've worked, if you've gone in and you ordered a meal, or I've had you know someone take care of. I was at a restaurant the other day and I was sitting there by myself doing work or whatever, and this gentleman was just coming over and kind of, it's almost like he got, I'm there by myself, I'm doing some work, I'm, I'm probably, this is my moment of sanity during the day. <laughs> and he just did everything, just the little nuances of what he brought by, when he stopped by, when he left me alone, everything. And I was like, this guy is a true artist. Right? <laughs> what he's doing, right? And I just think, I just like coming back to that of like, it's really not the job, it's not the title, it's not the paycheck, it's what are you bringing to the table? And you are experiencing yourself every moment of the day. And the idea that you are showing up as less than yourself because you don't want to engage too heavily in a job that's not going to be your job for the rest of your life, I think it's ludicrous. On the other side, if someone else is treating you poorly because for whatever reason you don't carry the title or whatever that they're looking for, you know, you don't have to buy into their perception. You get to go, oh, no, I'm sexy. I'm doing this. You don't get to call that out. Like you have whatever perception you want to, but I know I'm genius at what I'm doing right now. You know, hashtag remember to be sexy is absolutely going to be our uh, our tag for this episode. <laughs> hashtag remember your value. Hashtag remember to be sexy. I yes. love it. That really sums up some of the best takeaways. I'm so glad to have heard your uh, your side of the top 10 because that really changes the perspective that we're taking into the next year. And just remember, even when other people aren't aren't reciprocating back to you the value that you know you're bringing, keep that in mind. Yeah, and I, I um, just adore uh, the, the things that you're bringing, because you're bringing it in such a, you're kind of on this new adventure for yourself <laughs> and being able to share that with the audience. And I'm getting to just even learn through the things that you're doing and the fact that, uh, you just do things with such class and style. And I like the, the way that you even describe the whole Dick Pick Palooza situation. <laughs> I just love that, uh, just, the, just the sweetness that comes with that. And I think that's the hard part is sometimes you're in work and, and you're, you're, just, you're impacted by how human beha- behavior can be kind of just so ridiculous sometimes. And I love through the years I've been able to work with you. That's just never eroded the the graciousness and the class and the style that you bring to the table. And I think that's the sexiest. Oh, well, <laughs> right back at you. You know that uh, you are my uh, my sparkly unicorn. <laughs> that led the I path for me. I did not even know that you could be an effusive and... Uh, at the same time, assertive and at the same time, fun corporate trainer and organizational development specialist that walks in and says, hey, I'm going to tell you how to run this business and you're going to have fun while I do it. (laughs) 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 You have set the bar so high. I'm just always trying to jump to it. I adore you. Oh, great. Same. Well, now that we've had our love fest for the holiday season. <laughs> yes. Now that uh, now that you guys know that we love each other, we want you to know that we also love you and we want yes. to hear from you. Uh, so if you have a question or a story, if you've heard something in our top 10 that resonates with you or a story you want to share about something that you've experienced similarly, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, tweet us at LMTP Consulting. Message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, 
or email us at lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a fabulous holiday season, and I hope your 2019 is amazing. And we'll be back to see you then. Have fun. I think we should leave the giggles on there. Oh, we're leaving the Oh, I always leave the giggles. The, the music sometimes comes up over them, but uh, yeah. Okay. I <laughs>